You are the one they call president? I am. I see you are practiced in worshipping things that fly. Good. Rise before Zod. No. Kneel before Zod. I'm Griffin. I'm Molly. And we're going into the Superverse! Welcome back! We are going back into the Superverse. Into the Superman-verse. It is very literal today. We will be talking about Superman and Superman 2. We are Not to be confused with Superman Returns, which will be another Yes, episode. we'll get to that. Neither of us have seen that one. Uh, so, a couple months ago, we watched the Christopher Reeve Superman. That was my first time watching it. I have seen it growing up probably a handful of times, either on TV or rented it, but didn't hadn't seen it in a long time. So... At the time, our podcast... Also, I was a casual Smallville watcher. Casual. <laughs> Very <laughs> casual. At the time that we watched it, uh, our podcast had not come to fruition. I had never seen it before. We briefly entertained watching it again today, but just decided to tap into our memories and go ahead and watch Superman 2, which turned out to be the right call because <laughs> Superman 2 starts with their... Opening credits. It recaps the entire thing. Beautifully. So if we thought we had forgotten anything, that was quickly taken care of. Uh, Yes, so we watched just Superman 2 tonight, but we're going to talk about both films, both cinema pieces uh, tonight. We'll just kind of go through some highlights, probably starting with the first one. Yeah, we'll do a little brief discussion just to get up to speed, give us a jumping off point. So we actually had just right before this, pulled up the first one because we wanted to fact check ourselves. When the second movie started, I was like, are we, did we accidentally put on the first movie? Did HBO Max accidentally play the first movie? But no, it is, with a couple things cut out, just a one-for-one recreation of the introduction in Krypton from Superman 1 without Marlon Brando and with worse effects. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what that was all about. It seemed like they were trying to use the film they already had, so they just like put it on top of a new filter. Yeah, it did not look very good. And I would say the space stuff in the first Superman actually like held up okay, considering it was in 1978. Yeah. It didn't look Definitely. so bad. Even worse. <laughs> I mean, it was no like Star Wars, but it was... It was fine, but it, this one did seem worse. Yeah. I mean, and that that's a whole thing, too. Uh, if we had recorded an episode right after we had watched the first one, when we were watching it, we both said when we were watching the opening credits, this is Star Wars. They clearly watched Star Wars and were like, we are going to do this. Of course, they had the John Williams score going with it, but the starry background, blue credits, like, zooming in on the screen. I was like... It's modern. It's a modern era. A year after the first Star Wars, I think, they were like, guys, do you see this shit? We have to get in on this trend now. Um, I It's interesting watching this and also having just seen the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man somewhat recently... And this whole, um, you know, Uncle Ben story, um, or in this case, Superman's dad. And it's just like, you need that tragedy catalyst to start start an origin story. Or Batman with his parents and the bats. Uh, and it's just, you have to keep redoing it every time you do a new movie, but... It definitely gets old. And obviously this was the first one, but we've seen it now several times over. You need the family baggage. And right now, I'm struggling to think of a superhero that doesn't have any family baggage. I'm sure there are plenty, but the ones that we have seen have their origin stories recreated over and over again on screen. There's always a parent. Well, it's actually almost always a parent dying. Either or that or you're, or you're estranged or something like that, you know. 
uh, regular, okay, a healthy childhood is not producing any superheroes, apparently. That would be, that seems like a Deadpool movie to yes, be like, you know, I was actually very happy as a child. Both my parents are still alive. I see them at Christmas. Uh, In between bouts of vigilante crime fighting sprees. So what, what do we have to talk about if we're just going to do a general run through of the first one? Obviously, that is kind of a blueprint. This was the first big superhero movie had a very high production budget. I think it was either for the first or the second one was the most expensive movie ever made at the time. Oh, yeah, I think I've seen that so fact before. So they really went all in on it. And if my source, which is a Reddit post, which I should probably do more research on is correct, uh, Kevin Feige over at Marvel Studios claims that they watch the first Superman before beginning production on any of their movies because they view it as the pure uh, gold standard archetype for superhero movies. And yet they do so many things that are different in the Marvel movies, starting maybe, and maybe not most importantly, but most importantly to plot that they don't bother with disguises or, <laughs> or hiding the identity of for instance, the Avengers. Uh, Spider-Man has his own identity thing. He's also like a child. And even he plays it loose in the Marvel Cinematic Universe compared to the other ones. He meets Doctor Strange and he's like, I'm Peter. I think in the comics and stuff, he doesn't even... People yeah. don't know who he is. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, the end of Spider-Man too. Yeah. Uh, but like, Iron Man is like, I'm Iron Man. And then no one else tries to hide who they are after that. I, I do think maybe, you know, I'm, I'm actually reading as we talk about this, like how they are pulling inspiration from it for the whole, uh, secret identity thing. They must've just decided this is, well, right. It's minor in terms of like, this is a superhero, but it is kind of major in how they are in the world. Yeah. And the Superman one, especially is not, creating a world it doesn't feel like even though they are in metropolis and have the daily planet like it's just a fake new york um or chicago i guess um yeah but it, it doesn't, doesn't it's not like creating a uni it's not a universe no and i guess that's that's really not what they were going for yeah it feels like it's a corner of new york with a couple of fictional companies added in now if this was a Lex Luthor movie. He's got a universe. He's already established himself. He said it several times in the second movie. Um, World Renown villain, hello. Like, he has a universe. Like, he would go great in any superhero franchise. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He he's is low-key my on. favorite villain of all time. He's fantastic. So. And I do think he's in the second movie a lot. His performance in the first one is probably better because he's at the center of it. But... Gene Hackman does a great job and he's kind of a low key in the second yeah, one. Yeah, he is. He has a lot of comedic moments too, which, so I was, I was really enjoying his screen presence. I also have always liked Lex Luthor in the movies and in Smallville in particular, that Lex Luthor is one of my favorites and I can't even tell you why or even remember that much from watching Smallville as a kid. Uh, but I just really remember liking that Lex Luthor and he did a lot of like more nuance with the character and like tried to be good at some points and then just leaned into his his evilness as soon as he lost his hair his instincts he's well. going bald in high school i guess it was rough who wouldn't be mad no. uh, people people really do that's michael rosenbaum i think people really like him and he's, i don't he even seems like a cool guy i think jesse eisenberg had a lot of potential yeah as lex luther but i was disappointed ultimately in his lex luther it I do think it was partly his performance, For the new his lines, Henry the way that he was worked into the story. It just wasn't going in his favor. They weren't using him as a, as Lex Luthor. They were just, here's another side person. Yeah, that was a missed opportunity. Who's going to bring back another villain, like, I don't know, which is fine down the line, but that was Lex Luthor's first movie. Yeah, that was, that's too bad. They just didn't give him time to marinate. Anyway, um... 
there's obviously a lot that happens in the first one, and I'm kind of jumping towards the end here, but I do think, and now that, you know, I knew a lot about that movie before we watched it for the first time, such as Superman flying around the world to turn back time, but I didn't know why he was doing it, and I thought it was a pretty bold move to have them actually kill Lois Lane and have him be too late. Obviously, he fixes it minutes later, but I'm imagining an audience going to see a Superman movie in the 70s and being like... <gasps> and not knowing how much time was left. Right. This uh, is, it's a pretty long movie, you know? I don't know what people were expecting. It's certainly the most memorable part of the movie for me. Like, I remember that part so vividly, down to, like, her car. Like, I knew it was a red car, and that she was on this, like, side of the road, and I remember her, like, outfit pretty much. I mean, Lois Lane is an iconic female character in superhero movies. And I really like how they expanded that in the second one, actually. Um, and I, I just really remember that as a kid, that scene, obviously. And the the pool with the kryptonite. Yeah. Yeah. Lex Luthor's master plan. I'm going to drown Superman in my, in my half-foot-deep pool. Um, one... Little fun fact that I always forget about until I look up Superman on IMDb or Letterboxd or something is that Mario Puzo wrote the screenplay and he is the one that wrote The Godfather. Didn't know that. It's just, you know, I would love to know how that happened. What drew him to a movie like this? Or if someone had to do some convincing to him to get him to write it. But either way, uh, pretty cool. I like that in both of these movies, they just keep adding on superpowers. Yep. Like in the first one, they're like, oh yeah, he can do this. And there's no like surprise for Clark slash Superman. Like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. It's just, yeah, I, I, I got this. I got use this. lasers in my eyes or I can blow and make people blow that away. Is, I guess I always knew that it was like Superman had his frost breath. This movie took it in a different direction. The second movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say because the first movie is not fresh on my brain. But when we watched it, I was like, I thought it was interesting that they really went like all in on the, the Krypton thing with Marlon Brando being there and stuff. I thought that was cool because even though it was a little corny, uh, that's, I could see like, maybe not now because it's kind of come full circle, but there was a time when comic book movies wouldn't want to linger too much on the kind of off earth stuff, you know, for fear of being too cheesy or something. But now they probably because of star Wars, probably, but it was, you know, I feel like it's necessary to understand the character of Superman to include stuff like that. So I, I enjoyed it. Even though the Phantom Zone, the flat spinning diamond, <laughs> that effect, I'm sure it was. I thought it was kind of ingenious. I mean, it's it's fun. And it's, uh, like, <laughs> I, I, like, it's very clever and very, um, like, futuristic, I guess. It is, it is. I mean, like, not realistic futuristic, but futuristic. Like, I kind of think it was cool. But I kind of, I do kind of like it that it's like, this is not, it would be easy to, to, show them being sent to this physical prison with bars and stuff. But it's like, no, like we can't even understand what's happening. They're just being transplanted onto like a 2d plane and sent flying off in space. Yes. And so coincidentally, the only thing that could ever break it is a <laughs> nuclear bomb that <laughs> Superman just happens to throw up into space to stop it from blowing up the Eiffel tower. <laughs> The second film, at least the beginning of it, is like classic, we're in the Cold War. We're securely oh in the God. Cold War era of a nuclear bomb will blow up the world at some point, which is true and scary, but that was very much of that time. Oh, absolutely. And they have the scene where they're on the moon. They have the American flag and the... Uh, flag of the soviet union like they're carrying it at the same time and between that and the bomb i was like oh yeah this is carrying a lot of baggage came out in 1981 so yeah truly at the height the only other specific thing about the first one and then again going back to lex luther uh, i love the layer 
his lair, which is like underground, it feels very penguin Batman. Yes. Uh, and it, and you can kind of tell that he's working his way up to a higher echelon, but he still is quite wealthy uh, and has like all of his amenities, but he's underground. So he wants to be like on top, literally on top of the world. Yeah. And right now he's below it. Uh, and I liked that and his whole Too true. Yeah, situation. no. His, the whole aesthetic of Lex in the first movie is very like iconic super villain. I love that for Lex. Uh, this is another note just across both films and they kind of make a joke about it in the second one is Clark Kent an amazing actor in his own right oh my to God. play the role of Clark Kent he puts on like every day before Lois finds out that he is Superman he wakes up puts on his cardigan and his glasses puts a pound of product in his hair and is like I am going to be a fucking loser I'm going to become the biggest dweeb that this city has ever known. Because I've only got glasses hiding who I really am, so I have to fool them with my personality. <laughs> yeah, he does a damn good job of it. Okay, so I think that's pretty much all we have to, to say on the first one. If you haven't seen it, I don't know why you'd be listening to this if you hadn't, but if you're like me and somehow you've just gone a long time without seeing it, be sure to check it out because it is a classic. I hate to use this word, but... It's iconic. It is iconic. It is iconic. Everybody knows who Christopher Reeve is, so if you do know and you haven't seen the movie, just check it out. Still on HBO Max. His piercing blue eyes are staring us down right now. And they will be for this entire episode, and we wouldn't have it any other way. All right, so let's get more into the second one, and then we can do our roundup at yeah, the end. Yeah, first things first, as soon as we started watching this movie, I was like, this looks worse. I don't. I couldn't put my finger on why, but... The, the opening, like I said, is a recap of the first movie, and it takes you in on this zoom in of Krypton, and I'm, it felt like the whole thing was shaky. It was very clearly a miniature. I just don't know what happened here. I do know that there were a lot of production troubles with this one behind the scene, which I didn't know until we started watching it. Uh, Richard Donner, who directed the first movie, was fired in a very controversial move by the production company, I believe. And a replacement was brought on who proceeded to direct at least the third, maybe the fourth movies. And there is a Richard Donner cut of this movie in existence. I don't know how it's different or when it was released, but definitely some shades of the Snyder cut, which came out today. <laughs> Shout out to the Justice League. Uh -huh. Shout out to DC. <laughs> Shout out to Henry Cavill. My main thought on the second one in comparison to the first one is that it the second one feels more like an 80s action movie. Oh, yeah. And specifically, it is a cross to me of Ghostbusters and uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, which if you don't know <laughs> what Rocky Horror Picture Show is, shame on you. Go watch it. <laughs> um, but we won't it be is doing an episode on perfect that. <laughs> meet up of those two films in my humble humble opinion <laughs> they're like oh yeah superman 2 is my favorite movie it's like you take ghostbusters you take rocky horror but you're right not enough drag in my opinion there was one very uncomfortable gay joke um that was <laughs> that raised more questions than it answered it's for no reason and uh well look the kryptonians were wearing like these leather thigh-high boots Maybe it was a shout-out to Rocky Horror. I also think that, I know I was just saying this, that Lois Lane, iconic, another great iconic moment. Uh, she's got great outfits, first of all, and she is a strong, independent woman that you don't really see in these early 80s movies, or at least I don't think I've seen very many movies from that time period where they show... Yes, she is a damsel in distress a lot, but they also really show her. She's like the one going out and getting the story in Paris and like has her own agenda and her own independence. And she she can fight for herself in like in the cafe scene. Yeah. And I just appreciate that because I think it was kind of rare. Yeah, it feels very forward thinking at the time. The only moment where she's in real distress, she kind of does it to herself. Okay, Clark Kent did her dirty I know. at Niagara Falls. <laughs> that was fucked up. That was insane. And then immediately, not not an hour later, he's like, you caught me. 
I would have been furious. She's like, you almost let me die. She didn't go. She didn't address it. No, she She was was just like, like, oh, I'm in love with you. She apologized to him. Right. Right. Very good. Come on. That is Lois. (laughs) Clark, not not cool, dude. Wow. Um, Yes. Uh, Courtney Cox was great in this movie. Excuse me, Margot Kidder. I don't know if I thought about that in the first movie, but this one, total Courtney Cox vibes. She has like a little raspiness, raspiness to her voice. And her like face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to confirm that I was not the only person that thought this, but of course I wasn't. Someone was like, I think on Reddit, said that they were watching this, or the first one with one of their friends, and they're like, is that Courtney Cox? And they're like, no, this movie's from the 70s. It's not Courtney Cox. But it is uncanny. Earlier we were talking about the whole recap of the first movie that serves as the introduction for this one and that just kind of made me reflect on how different these movies comic book movies now treat having to bring the audience up to speed obviously at the time you were not going to watch movies at home so there was a three-year gap between these movies People were going to the theaters to see it, and they needed a bit of a refresher. Yeah, it makes sense. But now I need a refresher. Right, and it was it was appreciated. But now I just think, like where we're at with Marvel to a lesser extent, DC. It's like okay, yeah, we're eighteen movies into this. We are not going to help you. Have you seen this TV show? No. Well, good luck understanding <laughs> Doctor Strange too. No, I don't care that Doctor Strange came out five years ago it's a very different audience marvel doesn't have to try to get an audience no they don't i mean i don't know if they did either uh i doubt it but i mean what were you gonna go see you know (laughs) i just thought it was it's a the most stark contrast you can have is they told you the entire plot of the first movie it was not even you know everything was there you could see well, it wouldn't be ideal. You can see this movie and not have seen the first movie and still kind of get it. Yeah, I think so. Which was the idea, of course, but... I don't know if you found this to be a plot hole, and I think we noticed this in the first movie, too, but the Daily Planet has maybe the largest budget of any company, <laughs> especially a newspaper company, I've ever heard of. This is uh, This movie is more egregious than the first one is. They... First of all, in one of the opening scenes, they send Lois Lane to France to because there are terrorists taking over the Eiffel Tower. On a concord, which is like $8,000. Yeah, I mean, she gets there the day of when all the French reporters are still like at the scene clamoring for Oh, she's for there questions. within yeah. minutes. <laughs> Nothing did Superman fly her over. And then later, we get... My favorite, like, contrived plot in this film. We have to pose as newlyweds to uncover this scheme. They're, like, scamming honeymooners by Niagara Falls. I was like, what is going on? And I feel like they never they never wrote that story. <laughs> People definitely... are asking for this. <laughs> they did not. They wasted the money of the Daily Planet. All I could think about was when they were talking about Perry was the one that pitched this story. I was like... One, I want Man of Steel 2 because I want Lawrence Fishburne to be like two to Henry Cavill and Amy Adams. I need you to go to Niagara Falls to this hotel that caters to newlyweds and tell me if they're scamming people. I wish they would bring that back as like a fun nod. Oh, they also do the Daily Planet insane budget in the newer ones with Amy Adams, they're like, get me to... a helicopter. And they're like, we don't have the money for it. Okay, fine. We'll get you a helicopter. <laughs> like, can you imagine? She, Lois Lane single-handedly bankrupts the Daily Planet. It's like, I'm like, Lois, this is a struggling print newspaper business. Like, print newspapers have no need century. for a helicopter. <laughs> it's not like Channel 7 News. And... They send her all the way to wherever she goes in Batman versus Superman. And what do they get for it? Jimmy Olsen gets shot. Who's Jimmy Olsen? The photographer. He's the Uh, kid in this one. He's there and he's like a spy or something. Yeah, I was like, he's not even a real reporter. (laughs) So I'm not going to put that on Lois. Uh, We already talked about Kal-El acting as Clark Kent. But in the scene setting up the whole... Oh, is that what we're calling him now? Whatever. (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> I'm respecting that his birth That was the first name. mention of it. Well, I've just been saying Superman. <clears throat> yes, Superman's Clark. acting as Clark Kent. Uh, they're talking about these terrorists in France that inexplicably have a hydrogen bomb. And right. Clark Kent is all, jeepers. He's like, well, well, gee, Perry, what are we going to do about it? Was there a full resolution on that other than he threw it up in the air? Like No, he, he, he tossed that bomb into space and then went home. Well, and released. Yes, but the, no, he he was like, nope, I'm my job is done here. And then Lois shows up and is like, hydrogen bomb, that could blow up all of Paris. And I'm like, I think they already know that. Uh, you mentioned the outfits earlier of the trio. Oh. Yes. Space trio. I have more about that too. And I think that I don't remember their names, but the female Ursa, I Ursa, think. she is the OG patch girl. She's got her little patches on yes. her outfit that she's collecting throughout the movie, and I thought that was a really fun touch. Iconic. Also, I do love their deep V's. They have very deep cut V's. Very it's... stylish outfits. Oh yeah. Oh for sure. Very sleek. Uh, speaking of the France scene again, I just want to say that at multiple times in this movie, but I would argue mostly in that scene, we see that Lois Lane has zero sense of self-preservation. First of all, she books it up the stairs of the Eiffel Tower in high heels. Doesn't break a sweat. Clearly in great shape. And then when that does she's not... she's drinking prove, her orange juice. <laughs> she has a thousand oranges or whatever. And when that does not prove successful, she's like, fuck it. I'm going to get onto the bottom of this elevator without a second thought. Good to go. So reckless, but also shout out to you. Yeah, I throws herself into Niagara Falls. Yep. Uh, yeah, I was like, I you better hope you're right. And at the time she <laughs> thought she was just going to die anyway. Thanks, Clark. I like that about Lois Lane, though. No, I do, too. It was, it, it is really, it's, it's nice because they could have really done a very boring, generic, stereotypical damsel in distress, but they did not go that route. Also, you mentioned the oranges and I'm pretty sure when we see her at the Daily Planet, when she's using her orange press, she's carrying her oranges in a Gucci bag. It's like, <laughs> she is. She also has the nicest apartment ever. I think she's blackmailing somebody at the Daily Planet. <laughs> They do not have that budget. Yeah, probably she probably keeps getting settlements for sexual harassment in the workplace. Really surprised and shocked by the brutal treatment of the astronauts. Like that was pretty savage. It is rough, but I will say this: they just punted off the moon. This never to be found again. I said the first one, which she rips the patch off. Right. Uh, I said that was horrifying until the Krypton Lady Ursa kicked him like one of Tom Brady's deflated footballs. Oh, got him. That was topical like three years ago, but it's uh, evergreen. Still, it does. It was like at first, like a 70s horror movie thing. He was like the hissing of the air being let out of the spacesuit. And then she just literally punts him. <laughs> he goes spinning off into the distance. And I was like, OK, this took a turn. There's another crossover film. I would say with these, other than obviously Rocky Horror and Ghostbusters. What do you say, Griff? We just watched all of them. A James Bond. Uh, Moore's James Bond. Oh my god! Specifically, well, the sheriff from Live and Let Die, coincidentally, my favorite Roger Moore James Bond movie, shows up in this. Not just Live and Let Die. Isn't he's he in a he's couple? another one. Uh. This uh, the sheriff is Clifton James. He was in Live and Let Die and the man with the golden gun. And in this, he pops up playing a sheriff. Exactly the same character. Not exactly. He's not. He would be talking a lot more if it was James Bond character. That is true. But uh, would have loved that, actually, uh, if he was. Literally oh, yeah. The same character. Would have been fantastic. I mean, I don't know what the general uh, popular sentiment is on Live and Let Die, but. That was a great movie. That was the first Roger Moore movie. And for me, it was all downhill Heat. from there <laughs> because it had him. It had the boat chase. I know it's not anything related to this. That but boat chase was. That's one of the best James Bond action scenes. Period. It's so fun. Uh, so you can wait for Griffin and I's uh, James Bond podcast. Yeah. Thoughts on General Zod. 
General Zod is one cold motherfucker. I really enjoy the journey of, I'll call them the Krypton Three in this movie. They start out on the moon and just waste well, these astronauts. They start in their mirror. Okay, they start in the mirror. <laughs> they get let out of the mirror by the hydrogen bomb radiation, as one sure. does. Go to the moon, just completely destroy international relations by killing not only American, but Soviet astronauts. I liked that touch, actually. Yes. Cooperation. I that. Well, that, that, that's, that was accurate. That was the only thing we did with Russia was go to space. They come down from the moon. They land in Houston, start walking through the woods. You know, you encounter a snake here or there, which is a great scene. I thought the big guy was going to try to eat the snake, but we just got to see him have some performance anxiety with his laser vision, which was funny. He was a great character. Yeah. And then we get this whole scene in a town outside of Houston. No, I think that we were supposed, that supposed to believe to be that that Houston? was Houston. Is that what Houston looked like in 1981? I don't know if that's accurate, but... Either way, it had a population of 123. <laughs> and they were like... I feel like they got to this point in shooting and they were like, Guys, we have way too much money left in our stunt budget blow up everything have trucks crash through they walls. have the same budget as the daily planet uh, <laughs> it was the daily planet was backing superman too <laughs> it was like action wise <laughs> pretty you know pretty low-key until we get there and they break out the flamethrowers they got rocket launchers everything's just going nuts people are getting thrown through walls i feel like that was kind of the peak of the movie, and we can just, like, quickly go through the rest. I agree. Superman loses his powers very quick to um, just give it all up. Yeah, he's like, fuck this. He's like, 12 hours of being in love he's with like, Lois Lane. He's like, I want to be with you, Lois. And Lois is like, I don't even want you to lose your powers, bro. Yeah, let's have a combo about that first, maybe. She's like, what am I supposed to do if I actually fall into Niagara Falls? <laughs> How are we supposed to leave this tundra? <laughs> Too many cues. Um, also, who is going to check on him to be like, hey, you can't be in love without, like, you have to give up your powers. Like, no all one the, is making you do that. All the Kryptonians are dead. Like, <laughs> Your mom can't make you do that. <laughs> My mom's ghost can, I guess. Oh, let me go back a little bit. We get this whole scene where... Lex Luthor has to escape from prison. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I forgot about that. Which had a lot of good slapstick moments in it. And I will say his buddy, his second in command, I guess, Otis, I think mm -hmm. his name was. That is a straight out of the Three Stooges. He is a stooge. His whole character. He's like, that black box that we're keeping in the cell? Like, his performance is like 30 years prior Wasn't to the release of this movie. He was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Goofy henchman. Right. Uh, uh, and then they excellent. they break out of prison using a hot air balloon, which also happened in Red Dead Redemption 2, the video game. And I wonder if that was a Superman 2 reference. I thought you were going to say a Roger Moore, which I would have believed oh, and forgotten. Surprising promptly. that, to my memory, there is no hot air balloon scene in, involving him. Um, also speaking of Lex Luthor henchmen, we have Miss Tessmacher. Is that her name? Don't know where she was the rest of the movie. Disappeared, but also when bond, I was... A Bond girl, a Bond girl, for sure. <laughs> and when I was refreshing myself on the first one a little bit, at the end of the first one... She double-crosses him. Well, yeah, and she does it because he sends a second nuclear missile at Hackensack, New Jersey. Where and she's like, no, Lex, are. my mom lives in Hackensack, New Jersey. And he's like, not for, lo not for much longer. And she's like damn you man like that's cold and then help superman and then helps him break out of prison that well her mom didn't end up dying <laughs> it's all good you tried to kill her but you didn't so restraint we're cool now i guess i double crashed you if we're good yeah i guess two two wrongs make a right huh okay i did note that but i was like you know, I just thought it was funny because I was like, wait, what is else the is she going to do? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have many other career prospects, I guess. Um, We've gone over a lot of my other notes, but I will say, and I'm pretty sure we talked about this when we watched the first movie. Um, I always think 
that the Clark Kent disguise is dumb. Until I see somebody with one or two physical features changed and do not recognize them. The first time I saw a picture of Zoe Deschanel with no bangs and glasses, I was like, this is another person. Like an elf. I was like, this is not Zoe Deschanel. And there was actually a time recently on YouTube, I was scrolling by this channel, which is a group of people, and I was like, I don't know who this person is. And I clicked on the comments and people were like, oh shit, like, no, this is the same person. She just like did her hair hair and makeup differently. And I think someone was literally like, I will never judge Clark Kent's disguise again. I mean, they're really big glasses. Huge. Take up a lot of space. And the gel, which I already mentioned. Yeah. That's some greasy hair. And his like posture and everything. He's like doing a lot. He's a, he's a method actor. Yes. Good for him. Um, I stopped taking notes and my last note is like really like blowing. And that was at General Zod and the uh, Crypto Trio. They love their blowing I just power. would love to know the... How did they know they could do that? Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like one, they, they all discovered this at the same time. Two... When they were making this movie, there are guys. We have our big climactic battle sequence in Metropolis. We need Superman to have to fight all three of the Kryptonians at once. What do we do? We make them all blow really hard for like five minutes and show people getting mildly inconvenienced. We see two people have their payphone conversations interrupted yeah. A couple of people get their fries blown out of their hands. I mean, I think at, at one point cars start blowing up, so. Well, and also Superman just, like, flies away. And then they, I guess, don't notice that. And then they're like, how will we ever find him? Like, just follow him. That was, I guess, his plan. I don't know what that was about. He hangs out in a bus for, like, ten minutes and then leaves. I guess we won't kill Lex Luthor because he's going to tell us where to go. It really went off the rails. Towards the end there, didn't it? Yeah, and it became really, like, farcy at the end with, like, the whole switcheroo and using Lex. But I liked all that stuff. That was very... It was fun. It was fun. fun. I, like... See, that was, like, Lex in prime, low-key... Um, trickery. Trickery, Very yeah. clever territory. And very Le- Lex Luthor, and I liked it. Um, I did read that towards the end it had the vibe of a Mel Brooks movie, which <laughs> I would be inclined to agree with. Ghostbusters. Right. And like you said, like very farcy. Um, I will also say another movie that I was getting shades of in this, or probably vice versa, was Wonder Woman 1984. First thing that I that triggered me to think about that movie was in the White House. Like, oh, you know, yeah. I can think of three superhero movies that have fights in the White House. This, Wonder Woman 1984, and X2. I was uh, just going to say X-Men. Yeah. There's and, a couple X-Men, I think, that are in the White House. They, they love their DC, don't they? But um, DC and DC, I you know like, what I mean? Well, no, and I actually <laughs> First of all, it was the, the White House fight scene. I was like, wow, like, this is very similar to me, and this one was better than the one in Wonder Woman, I think. You didn't in, like in the opinion. Wonder Woman fight? It was fight? fine, but I just, I just enjoyed this more, maybe just the, in the context. But also, generally speaking, Superman reckoning with the loss of his powers is also oh, in that straight cafe. out of Wonder Woman 1984. Like, they both are kind of dealing with yeah. losing their powers for one reason or another. Obviously... That's happened in other ones, Spider-Man too. 2 had the same thing. Yeah. But uh, I did look it up after that, and Patty Jenkins said that for... Maybe it was both, but at least for Wonder Woman 1984, they took a lot of inspiration from these. That makes sense. I mean... They're, they're like, kind of counter. Yeah. And I think they were going characters. for the kind of feeling that these movies invoke, which is just, like, optimism and hope and not a lot of the dreary stuff that you get in a couple of the other movies. Batman. Looking at you, buddy. Yeah. Zack Snyder, if well, it wasn't clear. all Batman. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like I actually like Superman 2 better. Really? I think I liked the plot. I liked the General Zod plot better. 
than the Lex Luthor plot. Yes, even though I know I just went on about Lex Luthor, I just liked that it felt more of like a fair fight, I guess, also. And I, but I like the scenes from the first one better, like the going back in time, all of that. But this was like a little bit more complicated plot wise in a, in a good way. This movie was funnier than the first one, but also I know that people really like Zod and like the line, I like, like Zod the, too. the kneel before Zod, that is. Oh, like everybody I mean, drink knows. every time he says Neil before drink every time he says his own name. Yeah. Zod. Zod. The man loves his third person. But everybody like knows that line. And I'm pretty sure that this iteration of Zod was the one that defined at least the physical look of the character in the comics going forward, if not his general personality. Well, wasn't Zod already introduced in the comics? At that point he was, but it like changed after oh. this movie came out because people loved it. I, I mean, Michael I think... Shannon's Zod does look similar yeah. to this. And he's he's very good too. Yeah, I, I like the um, kind of not not impassioned villain. Kind of cold, calculating. Yeah, and, and I think it's meant obviously to be a foil for Superman who is all about compassion. And I mean, Todd even says that in the second movie, like I've, I've identified your weakness. Right. Uh, and I think it's, I like it. And I, and I think that it's very similar to Star Trek and how they portray like Spock and his, um, like species, I guess being like very calculating and then like him grappling with his like human side and like the flaws with that. So I, I like that they, that that's kind of what's happening here with Superman and, and dealing with his, um, non-human side. Yeah. I guess. How you balance that. You yeah. Know, you, the, the, the knowledge that you're from this ancient, powerful alien species with like the vulnerability of humanity. That's evolved past some of that yeah. compassion. Although clearly not like his parents like made a compassionate choice by like sending him off to Earth. Yeah. It would be hard for me to choose. Um, there was a lot in this one that I enjoyed. A lot of the, the humor was really hidden for me and a lot of the action scenes. The, uh, the, at the point that it got more farcical, it started to lose me a little bit. I think there are probably a couple ways that they could have tightened it up, but uh, I would need to like really watch them back to back, literally, to make a call. And I am—I don't know if I would watch it, but I am curious about this Donner cut. I wonder what is different. All right, should we um, say some of our favorite moments? Yeah, let's do it. What about the first movie? Well, the first movie. There's there's a lot there, but I will say we just watched a couple minutes of it, like I said, to remind ourselves or kind of decide if there was a difference in the introductions of the two movies. And I did really like how they set up the fall of Krypton. You're only there for probably like 15 minutes, if that. Not, yeah. But they get Marlon Brando, who does a good job as Jor-El, and I think they instill a very... Very well done for the short amount of time that they have sense of urgency and they kind of provide you with this connection to the Kryptonians that otherwise would just kind of be a footnote in Superman's background. And I thought it was very cool that they managed to do it quickly and effectively and in a way that sticks with you for the rest of the movie. And it lets them continue to use the Fortress of Solitude and reference his parents uh, in this movie successfully and give you that kind of emotional background to work with. I gotta go with going back in time. I mean, like we've said many times this episode, iconic. But even just like the rewind of it cinematically is really satisfying to watch. I like that. I mean, it is. Very memorable. That is definitely like. I mean, that's like the scene. That's objectively the coolest moment from that movie. Bar none. Okay, and then we decided not to do, like, which character would you be? Yeah. But instead, which superpower would you want that is Superman's? So which of Superman's powers would you like? I'm really tempted to say the frost breath blowing power. Really? No, just because we've been joking about it. Sure. That's not my answer. (laughs) That is a very, it does, like, one thing. Um, I think, I mean, it's. 
trite, I guess, but flying. Right. I mean, why wouldn't you? I am kind of split because in my notes I have said it is unsurprisingly flight because who doesn't want to be able to fly? If, say for some reason, there was a genie saying you can have any of Superman's powers, I said flight, the genie said no. This is a terrible genie. So if I had to take a second choice, I would say the near invulnerability. If I can't fly, the next best thing to do is be able to put myself in harm's way to do whatever I want. Stick your hand in a fire. Right. It would be pretty sweet to be able to live life every day without having to worry about being killed. Unless there was kryptonite around. Okay, what about favorite scene from Superman 2? Hmm. This one's harder for me. I... Oh, man. I... Not in terms of an action scene, but just in terms of, like, this was the most enjoyable was all of the Niagara Falls stuff. From them getting there to basically him revealing who he is. Like, I just liked that whole bit, even though we, like, made fun of it. I mean, yes, we made fun of it, but it was also very fun to watch. Uh, that's definitely up there. I would be hard-pressed to pick, but I think I liked the scene in Houston just because that's when everything started to go off the rails. I thought you were going to say the White House scene. Well, the White House scene was very good, and I know that I think a lot of people would choose that just... Well, maybe, maybe I would. I don't know. I'm split. At one point in the in the Houston scene early on, I was like kind of starting to check out, kind of taking notes, kind of not. And then an army Humvee like crashed through the second floor of a building and out the other side and exploded. And I was like, oh, <laughs> we're getting into this territory. But maybe on reflection, I really did. And I actually wish the White House scene had lasted longer because I really liked the thing where the guy just instantly kneels. The fake president. And he's yeah. like, no leader of like this many people would voluntarily kneel like this. And then the president comes out. And maybe to me, I kind of thought he would be like, we won't kneel to you. But he's like, no, like I'll still kneel if it helps people. And I was like, this is, this is a lot. You can't do an anti-president, anti-America movie in 1980. Yeah, I mean... Uh... If, if anybody had any doubt, like you said, they had him fly the American flag back to the White House to, to cap things off. So, between those two for me. So, for this one, we're going to have Superman maybe go up head-to-head against another superhero. Uh, from any universe of our choosing. And who would win? Right. This one is a little difficult. Superman is... Clearly the most powerful superhero. The super? <laughs> He's the Superman, thank you. There's probably a couple that could maybe go to toe-to-toe with him for a bit. So the first one that I have is Thor. Oh, interesting. Because... That's a great fight. I was originally going to say Iron Man because we've just watched Iron Man. Kind oh, of the originators, he would but... crush Iron Man. Yeah, Iron Man does not stand a chance, but Thor... Thor's a really good choice, and I think having the the lightning factor gives Thor not an edge, but something different that that Superman doesn't have. Right. So and obviously the hammer. I have to wonder, you know... Thor- but I bet... Sorry. I bet Superman could pick up the hammer because he he's is. a good person or whatever. Yeah, and Thor would be in trouble after that. But that would be really fun. That's a great th- thought, Griff. I... You know... I just think that it was, to me, I was thinking of, like, the the pool of Marvel heroes that I have that I'm ready to know. I think there is a Marvel superhero who is kind of, like, the the Superman of Marvel, for lack of a better term. I'm not that familiar with the character. But Thor is super strong. I still wonder if Superman could just tank everything that he has in his arsenal. I think it would still be a good fight, but my head-to-head would be... Superman and Captain Marvel, who is arguably one of the strongest characters. That is And has space-ish powers. I mean, Infinity. That's a that's a pretty good matchup, too. But she got her powers from the Infinity Stone. The Tesseract or the Space Stone. That is... That's a good matchup. Also, 
not Thanos with the stones, but Thanos with maybe, like, a stone. Like, Thanos that we see in, like, Guardians or something like that would be an interesting... He'd be an interesting villain against Superman. Yeah, he would. Captain Marvel's really good because at her strongest, which we see her in Endgame, the only way that anyone hits her is Thanos literally having to take a stone out of the gauntlet and punch her with the stone. Before that, it was just like nothing could nothing could hit her. I would love to see that fight. Also, she's so serious, and he's pretty serious as Superman. That the the banter or lack thereof would be a lot. They would be those very just in their points. <laughs> whatever whatever brought them to fight, they would be very very uh, confident. <laughs> yeah, and would make it known. <laughs> and then of course there's Wanda, but I think that. Um, Captain Marvel is a better opponent. In terms of, like, fighting, yeah. Yeah, but I was just thinking of, like, really strong characters. I mean, I do think Superman has some trouble with Even the Even Doctor Strange would be interesting if he's, like, putting him through, like, the, um, like, whatever the... Or, like, illusions. Yeah. Like, subjecting him to this stuff. Yeah, because we don't see him have to deal with any, like you know, mental or metaphysical struggles like that. It's all physical. All Wanda would have to do is put something in his head, and I think that would work really well. Yeah, something about Krypton. So I think this kind of leads us into maybe our final question. Oh, hold on. I had another matchup. Oh, I'm sorry. It's all good. It's not Superman, though, because I was like, there's only so many things that we could have Superman fight and have it be even a feasibly even match. But... What if it was Lex Luthor versus the Joker? What if, for some reason, their criminal plans were clashing with each other? We have two very, in different ways, clever criminals. Criminal masterminds. Who Are would we come out on about top? Lex Luthor from these movies? One and two. Let's think of the most compatible versions of the two characters. Because this Lex Luthor would be immediately murdered by joker because joker's really smart and at least this lex luther is not that not as smart okay I guess. okay just trying to think of the best iterations. i like here. i like it i just um and, and even if you like threw in like jesse eisenberg's like lex luther who is supposed to be like really smart like I don't think anyone's as smart as the Joker. Like, he's always 12 steps ahead of everyone. Yeah. I'm just... I'm curious if... They must have had this happen before in the comics. These are the most... The two most iconic DC villains. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great. I just... I just think that Joker wins. I... Against a, like, quote-unquote mortal almost every time. Yeah, I would be inclined to agree, but... And he's so good at getting in people's heads. Yeah. Now I'm curious to see how this has played out, if it has before, yeah. though. Um, well, I was just going to say what DC, I think, always gets themselves into a trap, and we've talked about this before, is what do you do with Superman because he's so, um, like, infallible, I guess? And I was just going to say, like, it seems like Marvel would be his kryptonite, like, in terms of characters but there's not a really strong character in the dc universe that can go up against um superman and so then you it's like what do you do with this person that's like too powerful like in stories like they're having that trouble right now with henry cavill like they killed him and then they're like "Mm, actually no but like now what do we do with them yeah i mean it's it's really a shame because henry cavill is a great superman on screen The guy loves to play Superman and is like, I want to play Superman. But yet the last Superman movie was eight years ago. They, for some reason, are not doing a second Man of Steel, even if they could do it with a different director. And yeah, they just they have no idea. They they did Zod and they're like, well, that's all we got. But now there, there is... And they did Zod again. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, and there's a newly released Superman show that's a spinoff of Supergirl, and I have not watched it. I don't keep up with the CW Arrowverse shows, but what but I've Kal-El heard... Kal-El is there. Kal-El is there, and I have heard that that version of Superman is unapologetically, like, the Boy Scouty, like, upstanding citizen moral like um you know true north morality superman that superman like at the end of the day is and whether it was dc deciding to go with Zack snyder to head up their cinematic universe or something else the interpretation that they had on superman hit a dead end you know two movies in and now they are thinking about rebooting him again i mean i think in some ways, you almost have to Captain Marvel him, like give him a greater conquest. So that way he can, if he's not there for every single thing that happens, he has a good reason. Like he's off helping another planet or he's like around the world, like doing something else. Like even if you don't want to do like other planets, like that's what they ended up doing with Captain Marvel. It's like, well, the whole reason she hasn't been here for all of these Earth things is because she's off doing other stuff for other planets because it's like she's so powerful like she could have ended the first avengers movie so much faster or whatever so i think they almost have to do something like that with superman give him give him another job to do you know right and also it is a bit cliche and they did it in this movie and a billion other superhero movies but if you have a superhero that is so invulnerable that there are no physical threats to them then you have to pose physical threats to the people that they care about, which is what a right. villain that truly wants to fight them would be doing. And I think there Plus, are... there is kryptonite. Like, and yes, that gets straight and silly, but... Still, there is. And there's a lot of opportunities here. The comics of Superman have been going for decades. So I'm like, you guys... You have the most... The single-handedly, hands down, most recognizable superhero on Earth. And you do not know how to capitalize on it, which is crazy. Also, Man of Steel version, so like Henry Cavill version, has not done I'm giving up my powers for a specific reason yet. And that is like unfoddered territory there. Like, yes, it's now become kind of a trope, but I still think they could do that in a new way with Henry Cavill. They actually could have done it when he came back. I, I just think they could still do something like that with Henry Cavill is give up your your powers or something like that. Like, they've barely done kryptonite. They had Batman use it against him. I mean, far be it for me to think that I know more about the filmmaking process than the executives at Warner Brothers. But, like, it just seems like a no-brainer to keep making Superman movies. I think part of the problem is in, like, modern superhero world... They gave Superman's main villain is Lex Luthor, who is not a powerful. He doesn't have powers. So in this like modern age of superheroes, where like everything is elevated so much, it's like the distance between Superman and Lex Luthor is so large. I don't think they know how to make Jesse Eisenberg a strong enough villain to be able to fight him. Like that's why they had to have Jesse Eisenberg bring back Zod. So, I mean, this has now just become a all-around Superman <laughs> episode, but... It's just... There's so many questions, and... I hope they figure it out, because Henry Cavill's hot, and he should keep being Superman. Henry Cavill is hot. He is. And they got... <laughs> they brought Superman back in Shazam, but it wasn't Henry Cavill. It was just... Some dude's chest. They didn't show his face. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I was like, what are you talking Henry Cavill about? must have watched that and been like, God damn it. No, like, let me come back. Maybe that was Henry Cavill. And they just couldn't show Uncredited. his face. Oh, that's even... No, is that sadder? No, it's not sadder. I think Henry Cavill would have been ecstatic to be like, <laughs> like, gotcha. Because <laughs> he's really funny. Like, we really loved him in Man from Uncle. Yeah. Really funny. Also highly recommend. R.I.P. Army. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, just ignore that other guy. Um, 
He's had to, though. <laughs> True. Uh, we've had a lot of fun talking about Superman 1 and 2. Um, obviously, we had not watched Superman 2 before. That was a great experience. So the next Superman movie we'll talk about will probably be Superman Returns. Neither of us have seen that, and I think it's one of those movies that's kind of been forgotten in the superhero movie lexicon. Um, they envisioned that one as a continuation of the Christopher Reeves uh, movies with Brandon Ruth, who I know has come back lately in the Arrowverse shows. And the rest of that cast is pretty stacked from what I've read. So Kevin Spacey uh, is like yeah. something. Yeah, I, I am interested, I'm interested in seeing that. Yeah. So that'll be a fun one to watch. Uh, and uh, probably we will we'll get around eventually to to at least discussing, if not rewatching the DC Cinematic Universe movies. Yes, we'll be watching the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Um, subscribe if you haven't already. Leave us a five-star review if you don't mind. We would really love it if people Please. find us. And we've been... Into, into the, the Superverse. Universe.